Hello, this is Tim Convoy, the pastor of New Life Community Church located in Nashville, Indiana. I'd like to thank you for visiting our podcast, and I trust that God will just bless you and encourage you and speak to your heart as you listen to this message. Thank you again for joining us, and God bless you. Good to see you guys here today. I tell you, you know, we've been on a journey lately. We've been learning and just absorbing the new covenant and what that means, and and we've been kind of sharing some praise reports, and so actually put a couple that have come in this week up on the screen, and if Amy could pull it up for me, give God the praise. We talked about the goodness of God leading to repentance, and one of our viewers online wrote, the Lord followed me, he's given his testimony, followed me day after day, week after week, year after year, though I persistently turned a deaf, dead ear uh, to his pleadings. He followed me through the paths of sin where it must have been agonizing for the Holy One to go. Next slide. Until at last I listened. He opened my eyes to see my utter ruin and then revealed Jesus to me as just the Savior who would meet my every need. And then he enabled me to receive this Jesus as my Savior. If, I had, if it had not been for this patient, never tiring, infinite, tender, love of the Holy Spirit, I would be headed to hell. I would be headed for hell today. Praise the Lord. This someone was just saved a couple years ago. So we praise the Lord for, come on, give it up. We're going to start learning how to do this, guys. We're going to say, thank you, Jesus. Give him praise. Someone else said, praise the Lord. It's not even about faith in my faith. Comment I made last week. How many of us have put faith in our faith? Am I Am I believing enough? Am I, you know, we keep trying to wonder, am I believing enough? And that's putting our faith in our faith. Also wanted to praise the Lord at three years. Here's the, the group from Battlefield for Freedom this past Tuesday as they met together and wanted to give it up for the Lord for three years for changing the lives and working the lives of these people. So praise the Lord for that. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's exciting stuff. Another young man has said to me this week, he said, Man, when I really understood what you're talking about with the conscience, it changed my perspective so much that it's totally changed even my prayer life. I'm praying totally different than I used to pray. And, uh, and we give God the praise for his revelation uh, to this young man. And so, uh, you know, this, these are things that God is doing in, in our lives. Anybody here today have a praise I just wanted to share real quick? Anybody? What God has been doing lately? not going to hold out too long. All right. Well, then you get the second dose. I debated whether to do this or not. Last week, and by the way, my body has been fighting the flu this past week. I'm on the other side of it. Yes. And by the way, I said my body has, because I don't have the flu, but my body does. And so I am beating my body into subjection. Did you know Paul said to beat your body into subjection? He didn't say, let your body beat you into subjection. I always let my body beat me up. I'm like, that's not me. I am not my body, but I use my body. And so I have to beat my body up in this objection. Listen, body, you conform into the image of Christ. You conform into who you are in Jesus. And so, anyway, so, yeah, this past week, Friday, I was in my pajamas all day. I can't even remember. I, I, I was vertical the whole day. And I just just kept calling back who I am in Christ. And, and by Saturday, the, the batteries were recharged for a couple hours, and I laid low again. And then uh, I said, Lord, I got a job to do Sunday, so 
He's like, all right, we got you covered. And so praise the Lord. It's good to be vertical. Amen. It's good to be vertical. Last week, we looked in uh, Ephesians 2, and, and throughout the week, even when you're feeling puny, I was reading about Ephesians 2 and being seated in Christ Jesus. How many of you are seated right now in the heavenlies in Christ? Anyone? 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 If you are saved, all of us are. If you are saved, because God said that's where you are, and, that, and we'll see that. And so... You know, the craziest thing was, there was a song I heard, a guy sang it, I think his name was Rex Harrison, and back, oh, it must have been in 83, because I was saved in 83, and a couple months after I was saved, he sang it, and I said, man, that's an awesome song, and I looked it up in the Bible, in Ephesians 2, we're seated in heavenlies, and that song got in my head, and so I hadn't thought of it in a long time, but it came back to me this week, so I'm going to sing it to you. I'm going to do it acapulco because nobody knows. I don't even know if it exists in music. But this is how it goes. Took a look in the old black book and it thrilled me through and through. And if you've been saved and born again, it's bound to thrill you too. I was reading along about going home and I found to my surprise. I'm already there in Jesus. I'm living on the other side. I'm already living on the other side, waiting for my brand new body. Living up there in a heavenly fair at the right side of the Father. With my citizenship in heaven, I'm living in Christ, you see. I'm already there in Jesus. I'm waiting for my body to be. So if you've been fretting and thinking about quitting and fainting by the way, and you already passed from death to life, well, brother, you might as well stay. The battle's done. The victory's won. It's finished. Our Lord cried. He made us more than conquerors. We're living on the other side. I'm already living on the other side, waiting for my brand new body. I'm living up there in the heavenly fair at the right side of the Father. My citizenship in heaven, I'm living in Christ, you see. I'm already there in Jesus, I'm waiting for my body to be. That's it. I don't know. <laughs> Since I make a joyful noise to the Lord, I just had to say, Lord, you know how my throat's been all week, so it, it was just a joyful noise. But you know what? That's what we're doing. We are here waiting for our body to be where we already are, seated in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. Now, let me tell you something. We are going, hope you brought your Bibles with you today, or hope you're ready to take notes. We have a lot of scripture to cover. My wife always says, how can you look through those clouds? Are you the type of guy that, that I mean, those things are cloudy. It's like the Shekinah glory. Ah, there you are. Oh, there's my notes. <laughs> We are going to be learning about something, and it's a difficult area. The message is circumcision, the divine heart transplant. When the whole text covers circumcision, that is a tough subject to cover. You understand what I'm talking about. Especially if you want to use props. We will, we will see how God's Spirit moves us. We are learning about the new covenant. Last week we had the revelation that no matter what we do in our performance, we can never enter into God's rest. We can never enter into rest 
through the keeping of the law. If you want to translate that, because we say, well, I don't worry about the law. We can never enter into rest through our performance. It is not our performance that brings us rest. It is not about how many books you read on spirituality. It's, it's amazing. You can learn about the Scripture, about being filled with the Holy Spirit, and someone's going to write about the seven laws of being filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, and it's always this performance. How do you do this? And we're so focused on the performance. But you cannot enter soul rest, peace rest, through the law, through your deeds or actions. It is not a matter of how much you pray. It is not a matter of how much you go to church. It is not a matter of how much you read the Bible. Let, let me, now don't hear what I'm not saying. I am not saying reading the Bible is not important. I am not saying that reading the Bible and praying and going to church are not important. They are very important. But that is not the focus. If you focus on that as your performance in order to earn God's blessings or to enter into soul rest, your focus is in the wrong place. You cannot find it. We do not find our rest, nor do we find our righteousness in our performance. Amen? So when we look at our text, we realize that we are learning about these Jews who believe that their, not only their performance, verses 17 to 24, but also their pedigree, who they are, their position. Verse 17 to 24, we saw that, that the Jews were saying, hey, you know, we rest in the law, we make our boast of God, and we are, remember, guides to the blind, we are instructors of babes, we are leaders of the fools. He said, we are God's gift to this earth. And yet God said, wait a minute, this is your self-righteousness. And he shoots it down. He shoots down their performance. As we come to the next text, he's going to focus on their position and literally their pedigree as, as a Jew. In other words, just because you were born Jewish, just because you were circumcised as a Jew, that does not make you righteous before God. If you want to look and in, in, translate it in our day and age, just because you go to church does not make you a Christian. Just because you were born in a Christian family does not make you right with God. Just because you hang out with Christian friends does not make you right with God. Your righteousness is not found in your performance. It is not found in, in your pedigree. It's not found just because you are here that makes you a Christian. Any more than going to McDonald's makes you a Big Mac. Right? Your position doesn't make you that. Just being there doesn't make it. Wearing a necklace with a cross does not make us a Christian. So we come to a subject now, verses 25 down through 29, where Paul's going to cover this subject of circumcision when it comes to the Jews. Remember verse 24, he just got done telling them when it comes to their performance and keeping the law, he said, God's name is blasphemed throughout all the Gentiles because of you. Now, 4 verse 25. Follow the logical sequence that he's speaking of. For circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law. See, there's, there's the uh, conundrum right there. Circumcision is profitable. There's profit in that if you keep the law. But if you are a breaker of the law, and by the way, how much do you have to break of the law? One point, right? James 2.10, you're guilty of all. Your circumcision has become uncircumcision because it's worthless. Therefore, now follow what he's saying. If, and that's a big if. 
an uncircumcised man, meaning the Gentiles, keeps the righteous requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? In other words, if he kept all the law, the righteous requirements of the law, even though he is a Gentile, even though he is uncircumcised, would not that make him still righteous if he kept all those requirements of the law? And his, his righteousness would make him as though he were circumcised. Therefore, excuse me, verse 27, and will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, in other words, in its entirety, judge you who even with your written code and circumcision are transgressors of the law. You follow me? So he says, if righteousness is by the law, and he just got done saying, you guys are, you know, are not keeping the law. You say, don't commit adultery, and you commit adultery, he said in the text. He said, you shall, don't steal, and you steal. You know, and he says, and so if, if keeping the law makes you righteous, and they could keep the whole law and made them righteous, even though they were not circumcised, then would they not be the judge of you, even though you were circumcised? You follow what he's saying here? Now, he goes on, verse 28. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outwardly in the flesh. Let's, let's go stay in that verse again, 28. He is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outwardly in the flesh. But, verse 29, he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart. That means the very core of your being. That's the heart of an apple, the very core of that apple. He says circumcision, that is of the heart in the spirit. By the way, if your Bible, like this translation, puts a capital S there, put a line through that, that is a small s. That is not a capital S. This is not the Holy Spirit. He's talking about your spirit in you. He says the circumcision of the heart in the spirit, the center core of you, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. By the way, that is a play on words because Jew means praise. And so he says... The one that's the praise is not the one that is circumcised physically, but the one that's been circumcised spiritually. So Paul argues from a point of performance, verse 27 and 24, and then he says from a point of pedigree, 25 to 29. He says, you think that you, can that you rest and are righteous before God because you have the law, and that makes you right with God. And you think that you're right with God because you bear an outward sign of circumcision and that makes you right with God. In other words, this outward sign to you, Jews, he's saying, to you, that becomes your sign. And so, look, I am right with God because I have this outward sign. And outward sign is to them proclaiming their righteousness when the fact there is nothing on the inside to back up their proclamation. So they have this outward sign of circumcision proclaiming, I am right with God. I rest in the law. I make my boast of God because I'm Jewish, my pedigree. So they had this outward sign that claimed that there was an inward reality when in fact there was no inward reality. Think of it this way. Think of it this way. 
In verse 25, he said, circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law. Now, he says, you have this outward sign, but you don't have this inward reality. Take it out of this, this thought that we're thinking of with circumcision. Think of this sign. If I went along the highway and I put up a sign, a beautiful marquee, and it was even backlit, so it wasn't in our county, this backlit sign, it was very visible, and the sign said, groceries. And you saw that sign and you were starving and you knew there was nothing in home, so you pull in because there's a sign that says groceries. And you pull in and you go into the building, and inside the store you walk in and there's nothing. There's nothing on the shelves. There's no produce there. There's nothing in the meat cases. There's nothing in the refrigerator. And there's even no ice cream. The essentials. If you went into this store, and it was absolutely nothing, but you said, what a beautiful new sign you just turned on out front. Is there any profit if there's a beautiful sign, but no inward reality? And the answer is zero profit. Because you made this proclamation, but there's nothing true on the inside. Now let's reverse that. Let's say there is no sign out at the highway that says groceries. But inside that building, it was stocked with groceries. Beautiful produce, beautiful meat in the meat locker. All the shelves were stocked. And yes, there was ice cream in the freezer section. And you're hungry and you went in there and said, Man, this building's full of groceries. Let me ask you, is that more profitable than having a sign that says there's groceries and there's no groceries? The answer is yes. But you say, but you need the sign to advertise. No, you don't. <laughs> because when word gets out that there's groceries in there, and let me tell you something, word will get out there's groceries in there. And people that are hungry, they're going to go there and they're going to find their groceries. Amen? He said the inward reality is more important than the outward sign. Does that work for you? That's what he's talking about here. He's talking to these Jews that said, wow, they're so proud that they have this outward sign, but yet there's no inward reality. The shelves are empty. There's no produce, there's no meat, and there's no ice cream. Nothing in there. You see, friends, this is the same with religious people. God bless you. Religious people, are, it's, it's saying, these were religious people. They were zealous for God. They are still zealous for God. They are very sincere people. And yet, religious people today ha have to have the right outward signs. They wear the right clothes. They have to have the right hair length. They have to have the right vocabulary. They judge those that have the right clothes, right hair, right vocabulary, according to how they see it, and say, okay, whether they are right or not, they're saying. Because in their mind, it's more about the outward sign. They judge people according to whether they're born in the right family, attend the right church, or hang out with the right friends. This is very important to religious people. But the inside reality is empty. This is across Christianity by name today. There are churches across our country and around this world that have the sign out front, but inside there's deadness. Inside there's nothing. Inside there's no reality. Listen, we have a sign that says new life. We want that, new, that same reality on the inside that it proclaims on the outside. Amen? It's, it's, but it's in here. 
You can't just have the outward sign without the inward reality. And the Jews had that outward sign. What's amazing is that the outward sign of circumcision was not the sign of the Mosaic Covenant. You got that? Anybody want to? If you do, then you get to fight your body too. Circumcision was not part of the Mosaic Covenant. Circumcision was part of the Abrahamic Covenant. A one-sided covenant uh, made by God to Abraham only on God's side. Unconditional, one-sided covenant to Abraham and his descendants. Now remember I said you're going to need your Bibles. So either you're going to have to take notes. A lot of these verses are on your bulletin in the back. A lot of people text me during the week and say, Hey, what's that verse you use? What's that? So this is archived online and it's on the bulletin. And there's others that may not be. Feel free to text me. But I want you to follow the order. Follow the order here. Chapter 12 of Genesis. Chapter 12 of Genesis. God goes down and he talks to Abram. Abram means high father or patriarchal father. Abraham means father of many nations. He will not be called Abraham till chapter 15. Chapter 12, he will be called Abram. He lives outside of modern-day Kuwait, in a place called the Ur of the Chaldees, southern Iraq. God meets him there, south of Babylon, actually, the Babylonians. And says, Now the Lord had said to Abraham, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. Now, do you hear what he's asking of Abraham? He says, I want, to leave, want you to leave your country. I want to leave your family. I want you to leave everything that's familiar to you. I want you to leave everything that you find your security. I want you to leave even your inheritance. Because he's leaving his family. To a land that I will show you. Verse 2. And by the way, I want you to notice the I wills that you'll see here. Go to the land that I will show you. Verse 2. He says, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you, and in all of the families of the earth shall, or excuse me, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Did you, did you see what was going on here? God talks to Abraham. Abraham at this time is an old man. And he says to Abraham, I want you to leave everything. I want you to leave all your securities. I want you to leave your inheritance. I want you to leave your family, your country, everything. And I want you to believe that I will do this for you. That I will make you a great nation. Even though he has no children. I want you to believe that I will bless you. I want you to believe that, that you will be a blessing. And by the way, if you look at the Abrahamic covenant... Does it sound familiar? Do you remember the old covenant when I showed you the old covenant? The old covenant said, Thou shalt, thou shalt, thou shalt, literally thou shalt not. Thou shalt not make false gods. Thou shalt not take my name in vain. Thou shalt worship on the Sabbath. Thou shalt, not, thou shalt honor thy parents. And all the thou shalt not. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not covet. All That's the old covenant. Mosaic covenant. Thou shalt not. Do you remember the new covenant? The new covenant is, I will, I will, I will, I will. All the way through it, God says a new covenant. I will make a new covenant. 
I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel. I will write my law on their inward parts. I will be their God. They will be my people. I will forgive their sins and I will remember their sins and iniquities no more. Amen? That's the new covenant. That, that took place after the death on the cross. And by the way, it's very important. At the cross, they usher, Jesus ushered in the kingdom of God. It began, he is the righteous king, began to reign the kingdom of God. Physically, it will, is going to come down to earth. But the kingdom of God started at what point? The cross. At the cross. That's why when the disciples asked how to pray, it was before he got to the cross. And he said, you pray our Father who art in heaven, because the Jews recognize God as their Father. He said, thy kingdom come. They're praying for the cross. Thy will be done on earth as your will is done on earth. And then it'll go on to say, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Notice the conditional forgiveness that's there. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those. Pre-cross, that is the prayer. When you get to the other side of the cross and the new covenant has now been established, does he say, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive others? No. He turns it around. He says, now forgive others as I have forgiven you. You That's hugely important. Because people get hung up on this side before the new covenant was ever enacted. And then they, they tr- carry it over to this side and they get all messed up. They, oh, i gotta, I got to forgive others as, as they forgive me. I want you to forgive me as I forgive others. It's a conditional thing. He said, but that was pre-new covenant. Once the new covenant took place, he said, no. As I have forgiven you, so you forgive others now. Now, is, you, you follow this? It's the I will part of the new covenant. Now, oh, did I, was I showing you? No, okay. Now, when it comes to the Abrahamic covenant, got all these notes I have. Did you notice the Abrahamic covenant? I will, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. And by the way, he says, I will bless. He speaks blessing five times in the Abrahamic covenant. Blessing the, the fives and number of grace. Now, all right, you got that part? Chapter 12, we're following. Chapter 12, he calls Abraham out. He follows it. He tells him the covenant. You get on to chapter 14 of Genesis, and chapter 14, verses, well, we're going to read verse 18 20 in a minute. Let me tell you what happens in chapter 14. Chapter 14, four kings rally the troops of their nations, and those four kings come against five kings, including the king of Sodom and also the king of Gomorrah. And these four kings come against five kings, and the four kings beat up the five kings. All right? You understand this? The four kings that beat up the five kings took all their goods. They pillaged them. But when they took their goods, they also took a person named Lot. You remember Lot? Lot was Abraham's nephew. And then we're told in Genesis 14, verse 13, And one who had escaped came and told Abraham the Hebrew. You realize Abraham was not a Jew. Abraham was not Jewish. Jewish nation did not exist at this time. Abraham was a Hebrew. Isn't it interesting, in your New Testament, you do not have the book of Judaism. You do not have the book of Israel. You have the book of Hebrews. It's the book of Hebrews. It takes you back to this time period. Listen, if you could receive it, I want you to wrap your head around this because in the book of Hebrews, chapter 7, 8, 9, 10, you're going to read about Melchizedek. And guess where he's found? 
right here in Genesis 14. And here's what happened. Four kings beat up five kings. They took all their goods and they took Lot. Someone goes and tells Abraham, Abraham, guess what happened? They just took your nephew. Abraham rounds up his servants. He rounds up 318 servants. Now, first of all, you know what that tells me about Abraham? Abraham was mightily blessed of God. He had 318 employees that worked for him. 318. He had cattle. He had a huge property. He was so blessed of God. He rounds up 318. Not five armies, 318. And those 318 go against those four kings that beat up the five armies and the 318 massacred and beat up the, the four kings. He goes in there, he beats them up, takes the stuff back, and gets Lot and goes back. Are you with me on this now? On his way home, he walks through the valley, the Kidron Valley. And while he's walking through the valley, all of a sudden this priest comes and meets him. His name is Melchizedek, or Mel for short. Verse 18, we meet him. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem... By the way, Salem means peace. You read, he has two titles. He, has a king of, he is a king of peace. Hebrews 7 also says he is a king of righteousness. Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Hmm, sound familiar? He was the priest of the Most High. He was a priest of God Most High. I like the old King James. He was a priest of the Most High God. And notice what he says. And he blessed him. And he said, Blessed be Abraham of God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. Who fought the battle with the 318 servants? They fought it, but God delivered the four kings into their hand. Melchizedek comes, has a glass of wine, has a bread, and he has communion with them, and he blesses him. Melchizedek comes and he blesses him, blesses him, blesses him. He doesn't say anything other than blessing, blessing, blessing. Jesus, we're told, is of the order of Melchizedek. This is Jesus in the Old Testament. Read your book of Hebrews. Chapter 7, 8, 9, 10. Read through it. It's amazing. And so he meets Abram and he and says, and he gave him a tithe of all. By the way, tithing was started there with Melchizedek. It did not start 400 years later with the law. Tithing was back there. It was an act of appreciation. Thank you for delivering me. Thank you for this uh, great deliverance from these enemies. So here he meets Melchizedek. Here's the order. I will make you a great nation. He meets Melchizedek. God delivers him. Chapter 15. He meets Abraham. Abram. And he says, to, I'm not sure, do we have this slide? 15 went through. Yeah, we do. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your exceedingly great reward. Isn't that awesome? He says, I'm your reward. And Abram, said, Lord God, what will you give me? In other words, what's the reward? Seeing I go childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. Then Abraham said, look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. In other words, my servant 
Even though in chapter 12, all these years earlier, before he even left home, he says, you're going to be a father of a great nation. He goes, how can you do that? You don't even have any offspring. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this one shall not be your heir. In other words, the servant. But one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him out and said, Look now towards the heavens and count the stars, if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. He says, Like the number of the stars. Now, verse 6. And Abraham what? Believed. Say it again. Abraham what? Believed the Lord. And it was accounted to him for what? Righteousness. A right standing with God. What got him a right standing with God? Was it his behavior? Was it because he was so good at beating up those four kings? No. He said what got him the right standing before God was that he believed God and that belief that God said, I'm going to make a great man out of you, Abram, even though you're 85 years old. Now, if you're 85 years old, you say, like, a little late now, isn't it? And of course, Sarah, she's going to be, and this is going to be even later before this even takes place. But he makes this covenant with Abraham, and he says, Abraham believed God, it was counted for him for righteousness. Then God said, Abraham, Abram, here's what I want you to do, and he's going to go down uh, later in the text. And he says, I'm going to want you to take a heifer, I'm going to, want you to take a ram, I'm going to take a pigeon, take a, a, uh, a sheep, and I want you to divide these, cut them asunder on either side. And during the night, verse 17 of chapter 15 says this, and it came to pass when the sun went down and it was dark. Behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. On the, one day, on the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham. He made a covenant with Abraham. He, they divide, this was a custom. They would divide these animals. You say, well, that's awful gruesome. Yeah, it was. But they would divide the animals. And then in a two-party covenant, each party would walk through between those animals. And it said this, May it be done to me what was done to these animals if I do not keep my promise. That's what the covenant is. But when you notice the Abrahamic covenant, Abraham, you'll see, was fast asleep. God put him asleep and God passed through the midst of those animals. Only God. Not Abraham and God. Only God. And God said, Abraham, may it be done to me what was done to those animals if I do not keep my covenant to you, that I will make you a father of many nations, that from your loins and your body will come many nations. And so he makes his covenant with Abraham. Chapter 16. Chapter 16, Sarah and Abraham talk about this. Like, well, I'm not sure this is going to work because Sarah's like, yeah, my body's not really up to this anymore because she's old. And she says, here's Hagar. Why don't you have your child through Hagar? And that's what chapter 16 is about. And Ishmael was born. And how old was, was Abraham when Ishmael was born? He was 86 years old. And then comes chapter 17. And chapter 17, Abraham is now 99 years old. I know you're taking all these notes. He's now 99 years old. And in chapter 17, he's 99 years old, and God's saying, listen, it's not going to come through Ishmael. It's going to come through Sarah, like I said. And he'll go on through. You'll see chapter 17, verses 6, 7, on down through. I will make, I will establish, I will make a nation. I will give you. I will be your God. They will be my God. And chapter 17, verse 10, this is my covenant, which you shall keep 
between me and you and your descendants after you. What's his part in keeping the covenant? Believe. What's God's part in keeping the covenant? I will. He says, your part is believe. And then he says, and every male child among you shall be circumcised. That's where the circumcision comes from. Did you follow that order? He meets in chapter 12. I will do this. I will bring you here. I will. He makes all these promises. Chapter 15, Melchizedek breaks communion with him and says, you will be blessed. You will be blessed. You will be blessed. He then, chapter, 15, chapter 14, chapter 15, he then makes his covenant, passes through. Maybe what happened to them happened to me if I don't keep it. Thirteen years later, Ishmael is now 13 years old. Chapter 17, verse 25 will tell you that. He was 13 years old when he was circumcised. Ishmael is 13 years old. Abraham was 99 years old. And then God says, and this will be the outward sign that there was an inward reality that you were already righteous. Was Abraham already righteous by the time he got to circumcision? Was he? Yes. Did the circumcision make him righteous? No, he was righteous. What made him righteous? He believed God. That made him righteous. Circumcision was outside of an inward reality. He said, there, there's groceries in the store. Turn the outward sign on. That's what this is all about. And what's amazing to me is if you read Galatians, in Galatians, Sarah's going to say, kick out the handmaiden and her son. And God says, listen to Sarah. Listen to your wife, he says. These are verses that guys never memorize those verses. He says, listen to your wife. Kick her out. Because he's not the son of promise. Now think of that. He was 13 years old when he was circumcised and then he was sent out. And Galatians tells us that he, they are a picture of the law. Matter of fact, when does a Jewish boy have his bar mitzvah? When he is 13, he has his bar mitzvah. Bar mitzvah means son of the law. And, it, and Israel is 13 years old. He says, put it out. Send it out. You and I are not under the law. We are under the righteousness which comes by faith. Amen? Now... You say, okay, yeah, that's, that's a lot of, lot of Scripture, a lot of good stuff, but that's all Old, Old Testament. All right, Galatians chapter 3, because I know you want me to take you there. This is a lot of stuff, you know, but I'm telling you, if you can get this, if you can wrap your head around these realities and your heart, it will transform how you live your life as a believer. Galatians chapter 3, verse 2. This only I want to learn from you. He asked the Galatians, Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Let me ask you a question. How did you receive the Spirit of God? Did you receive it by the works of the law or did you receive it by faith? By faith. We put our faith in Jesus Christ and He put His Holy Spirit in us. And we all say, Amen. But to the Galatians He said, Are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? In other words, keeping the law. Have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit, in other words, God put the Spirit in you, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? 
So you want God to work in your life. Is it because you say, Lord, I, I'm, I'm going to make a promise to you. I will go to church all the time. I will pray more often. I will do all these things. And we make all these promises to God for God to work on our behalf. And that's how we approach God, by our performance. And he says, wait a minute. Did you get the Spirit by your performance? He says, no. You got the Spirit by faith. So stop trying to get the miracles and blessings of God by your performance and get it by faith, he says. And he goes on to say, just as Abraham, verse 6, tells us, believed God and it was counted to him for what? Righteousness. He takes us all the ways back to Genesis chapter 15. And he says, therefore, know that only those who are of faith are the sons of Abraham. Are you a son of Abraham? Yes, we are. The Jewish person, though he is Jewish, though he was circumcised, though he had his bar mitzvah, though he had all this, if he has not put faith in Jesus Christ as his Messiah, he is not a son of Abraham. I, even though I am a Gentile, I am a son of Abraham. Because my, even though it may be a Gentile, you may be uncircumcised, that's not what made you a son of Abraham. It was your faith that made you righteous, which made you a son of Abraham. Are you, are you with me here? And he goes on to say, and the scripture foreseeing, that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. Preach the gospel to Abraham. What do you mean you preach the gospel to Abraham? Jesus hadn't even come. How could you preach the gospel? He preached the good news. And the good news is, Abraham, if you believe me, I will count that to you for righteousness. If you accept me by faith and believe what I'm telling you, I will give you righteousness. And he said beforehand saying, in you all the nations shall be blessed. And Abraham believed that. So then, those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. Are you blessed or are you cursed today? So many Christians are walking in the curse when we should be walking in the blessings. Wait a minute. I am blessed Father Abraham. And the old devil's got me saying, oh, oh, God is mad at you. God doesn't want to talk to you. You haven't acted up. You know, you know, reach that good standard like the other Christians. He says, no, you're blessed by faith. You're not blessed by performance. For as many as are the works of the law are under the curse. If you try to approach God by your performance, he says, you're under the curse. You're working under that realm. For it is written, curses everyone that does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. You see, God tells them, this is an unconditional covenant. This is a work of faith in God that made us righteous. Are you good with that part? You say, well, then how does verse 28 factor in in Romans? He says, for he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But here, man, we're going we're gonna to take in an area that you've really got to grab onto this, if you could receive it. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is of the heart, in the spirit and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. He says there was a circumcision that took place. There was a cutting away. By the way, let me tell you something about circumcision, cutting away. I can cut, 
like that, but it's still part of the same piece of paper, isn't it? You know, you know what circumcision, the word means circumference. You understand that, right? Circumference means circle. If, if I cut in a circle, you know what I just did when you cut in a circle? They're totally separate. I just separated this piece from this piece. This is pretty deep, isn't it? When you make dinner and you want to open up a can of beans and you put it on your can opener, it cuts a circumference around the rim of that can. And if you have a good can opener, it separates the lid from the rest of the can. Right? When he speaks of this cutting away, he said there was a cutting away that was done without hands that God did in you. And he said in this cutting away under the new covenant, God said in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26. Remember what he said there? He said, a new heart I will give you. Now, he's not talking about the physical heart. He's talking about the core, the very inner being of you. And I will give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart of your flesh, out of your flesh, and I'll give you a heart of flesh. So remember, the heart, chapter 2, verse 15, the stony heart has the Ten Commandments written on, my law is written on every man's heart. God says, I cut around the old heart, and I take that old heart out of there, and I give to you a new heart. And the new heart I give to you says, believe I will. That's the command. Believe I will. The command is 1 John chapter 3, verse 23 or 24. One of those two. Read them all. You'll like them. We'll say. And this is the commandment that God has given us. That we believe on Jesus Christ, the righteous one. That we believe on Jesus. This is the commandment. The commandment, the law he wrote in your heart is believe I will. The new covenant. I will, I will, I will, I will. If he says I will, he will. Do you believe that? He says, believe I will. Now, here's, here's where it gets deep. Colossians chapter 2. You want to see, you say, well, all right, he changed the heart. But he said, this is a circumcision. This is a cutting away. This is a separation. Colossians chapter 2, verse 11. Oh, let me get there. Here it is. In Him, meaning Jesus, you were also circumcised with the circumcision. Remember, the complete separation, cutting around. Circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh. Pause. You. He talks about you. He talks about the body. He talks about two different things here. He says, you, God has circumcised he cut around, putting off, making that separation between you and the body of the flesh. Do you see that? Now follow with This is good stuff. The body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. You can write in there, Ezekiel 26, 28. Buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through what? Faith. In what? In the working of God who raised him from the dead. And you, 
being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of the flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you how much? All of your trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of the requirements, in other words, the law, the ordinances, that was against you, which was contrary to us, and has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. All right, you hear what he just said? He said, God did an operation on you. He did a heart transplant, and he cut around the old stony heart of the law, and he took that heart out, and he put a new one in, and he wrote a new law. He says, believe I will. And he says, and I cut around you and your body of sin, the flesh. I said, how does this work? I don't know how he did it. But because he's God and he said he did it, I believe he did because he said he did. Amen? And then you know what he did? He took out that handwriting of ordinances that were against us, the law. And you know what he did? He went over and he nailed it to the cross. Because above every criminal nailed to the cross, the crime was placed above the criminal's head for the crime that he committed. And man nailed above Jesus' head, King of the Jews. And they said, don't put King of the Jews. Say, he said he was King of the Jews. And Pilate said, what I've written, I've written. Remember that? But while Pilate wrote, put up there, king of the Jews was the crime, what you didn't see and what I didn't see is that God took out that whole list of ordinances that were against us and he put it up above there and he nailed it to the cross. He said, all of your sins, all of my sins, all the sin of the world, all of that has been taken away, cut away and nailed to the cross of Jesus Christ. And he said, it is paid and it is finished in full. Amen. And he says, and I said, he said, do you believe that? And I said, I believe that. He goes, then I count you as righteous. Said Corinthians 5.21. Amen. He shall make you the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Do you believe that today? Do you believe that God somehow did a heart transplant on you that you said, I don't know how all this works. But somehow he did it. He says, do you believe that? By the way, what you read in Colossians when he said that we were made alive together, it's only two times in the entire Bible that that is found. And the second place it's found is in Ephesians chapter 2. Read it to me, Pastor. Okay. Verse 1 says this, And you he made alive. The old version will say, You have he quickened, made alive. Who were what? What were we? Dead. Where? In our trespasses and sin. When we were in our trespasses and sin, before God did that, that cutting away, we were dead in our trespasses and sin. And then if you drop down, and I think we got down, well, verse 4, I know you only have 5, but says, But God, who is rich in mercy because of His great love, which He has loved us, verse 5 says, even when you were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you are saved and raised up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ, that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. 
Did you see that? It, this is the same thing. He's talking about the circumcision of the heart in Colossians. And in Ephesians, he talks about you that were dead, me that was dead. He said, he raised us up together with Christ. Alive because he took out the ordinance that was against us. And he made our spirit alive. You have he quickened, made alive. And by the way, this is why it also tells us we tabernacle in this body. You know, you know the best part about Ephesians uh, chapter 2 verse 1? You know what the word quicken means or alive means? The word is the Greek word that means this. I should have a slide there. It is the word own. Own. Sound familiar? You have he made alive. You he turned on the switch. That was off. When you were dead, listen, you're made of three parts, body, soul, spirit. When you're dead, your spirit was dead. Not mostly dead. Totally dead. As a matter of fact, that's why he even created the tabernacle. The tabernacle. Let's, there's a, well, let's, let's talk about these three parts. Body, soul, spirit you're made of. Your spirit is God awareness. We interact with God through our spirit but that's dead before we're saved. Your soul is your self-awareness. That'll include your, your emotions, your will, your reasoning is in your soul. Unsaved people have will. They have soul. They have, they have reasoning. They have emotions. Your body is a world awareness. We, are, we interact with this world in a physical sense through our body. But I'm here to tell you something. God uses a tabernacle to explain something about our three parts. You see, the tabernacle is made of three parts, friends. It's made of an outer court. It's on the outside. It does not touch the inside, by the way. It doesn't come off a back wall. The inside's totally separate. Then there's the holy place that is in the front part of the tent, the tent of meeting. And then in the back is the holy holies. That's where they met God. That's where the high priest would go in. That's where God was. However, when we think of this, God is using his tabernacle as an illustration. It is our body. It is our soul. It is our spirit. Our spirit was connected to God at one time in the garden. But as soon as uh, Adam took of that fruit that he should not, his spirit died immediately. The day you shall eat thereof, you shall die. His spirit died immediately, and then his body died afterwards. But friends, God did a circumcision of the heart, and he changed our heart. And he cut around the old heart. Remember, he put a new spirit within us. So lost man, his spirit is dead. Think of that tabernacle, body, soul, spirit. The spirit is dead. There's no connection to God. You can't, you can't commune with God. You could do good things in your, in your mind. You could do good things in your action. But your spirit is dead. Ephesians chapter 2. But in Christ, he has flipped the switch. He's made your spirit alive. And he put a new heart within you. And there is now a heart in the saved man that it has a heart for God now. And that saved man can communicate with God. And I, you see how this is in a circle? Listen, God cut around your soul and spirit are saved. Your body has yet to be saved. Your body has yet to be redeemed. But my body, you know what I said this week? That my body had the flu? I was fine, but my body had the flu. Because I operate inside my body like this glove. I use it with the Holy Spirit. Think of it with your body, with you. This glove is not me, but this glove cannot function without me. 
If I leave the glove, the glove's worthless. But when I animate the glove, the glove functions. The thing is, when God saved us, you and I are... Don't worry, I'm not going to... Oh, these are fun to put on, aren't they? They go on a lot easier in your office. How many know that this glove is not me? There is a separation, believe it or not. There is a separation between that glove and my hand that's in that glove. God made that separation now. He, He did a cutting away circumcises from the body of the flesh of this sin. This is Romans 7. Romans 7 is all about Paul having, who's going to help me with the body of this flesh? And even though this, this hand can get in some really nasty, yucky stuff, and that's some really nasty, yucky stuff, don't you think? And you want to shake hands? It's all right. I'm staying over the... Even though you get some really nasty stuff, and you do things as believers, and you like, man, Abraham was counted righteous before he even decided, you know, all right, we're going to go the way of Hagar instead of the way of the promise. But he's still righteous. God says, you are righteous, not because of your behavior. And I'm not saying misbehave. He's saying, you're righteous, not because of your behavior, but I cut around you now. You are no longer your body. You are on the inside. And if you were to look at this, that's still clean. That's how God sees you. We think God sees me this way. Boy, that's nasty. We think God sees me this way. And we're always and, and the devil's always pointing to that glove. It's like that cloth glove, but you walk out and get burdocks on it. The burdocks isn't on this hand, it's on my glove. And yet he'll go on later to say, Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. He said, but this is a reality. And if you don't understand this reality, you're going to have some problems. Learning to understand this reality. Listen, when I, my body had the flu this week, I, I started confessing, wait a minute. Wait a minute, body. You need to get better. You need to get in conformity. Because I am holy in Christ. I am righteous in Christ. I am healed in Jesus. I am healed. That inner part that was cut away, I am totally, by His stripes, I am healed. And I say, body, get in conformity to the reality that I am healed. And you say, well, that's just wishful thinking. That's just the the power of positive thinking. No, it's not. It's the power of right believing. And if you believe right, you will see right. If you believe what is right, you will see it in reality. If you believe what is wrong, you will behave wrong. If you try to think that you're going to get it through performance... It's not going to happen. Lord, I've been going to church all this time, and now I'm sick. How come I'm sick? I've been going to church, Lord. It's not about your performance. We, we, live, in a, we live in a cesspool of germs down here, don't we? And that body attracts the stuff. But I'm not my body, man. I tell you, I started confessing. I was feeling better just confessing it. And I went from being vertical to being horizontal, and I'm able to be here today. I still confess it. I keep confessing it. Every time I say, no, no, I'm, every time my body says this is reality, I say, that's not reality. This is reality. This is reality. Can you believe that? And can you bring your body into conformity and say, this is body, get with the program. This is reality. And friends, I'm here to tell you, 
that God did a work in your heart, a circumcision in your heart to change you. And why did he do it? Deuteronomy 6 tells us why did he do it? The Lord your God will, this is a new covenant, will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants. Why? To love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. He did a circumcision of the heart. Why? So you would love him. You can't love him through the law. A stony heart does not love. You cannot love God through your performance. You cannot love God through keeping his law. You love God and it's demonstrated by his law. It's demonstrated through your behavior. It's not the other way around. It's not behave to show that you love God. It's love God, it'll change your behavior. It's a totally different, it's the motivation behind what you do. You know, we, we have kids, we, our kids may have chores and we say, all right, honey, you, you know, your job is to clean the dishes or vacuum or whatever it is. And you say, hey, you got to get the dishes done, honey. Oh, mom, I just got my nails done. I don't want to get my nails dirty. And well, if you want to go to the game tonight, you got to get that floor vacuum. Oh, mom, I'll vacuum the floor. And, and they'll do the chores. But th- just because they're doing it, that doesn't mean they're doing it out of love. And then the next week, mom wakes up and she hears this singing. And like, what's going on in the other room? And I hear, hear my daughter singing in there. And she goes in there and goes, and there she is. And, Kitchen's beautifully clean and she's vacuuming and she's like, man, a miracle took place. Someone changed my daughter. Something just happened here. What's going on? And she goes, honey, what are you doing? She goes, well, my boyfriend's coming over this afternoon. <laughs> yeah. Totally different motives behind it. Same thing, but a different motive. God said, I did the circumcision of the heart. I cut you away from this so that now you can realize how good I am to you. It's not because of you, it's because of me. And how gracious I am, how kind I am. And the, the operation I did in your heart. And now I've made you a son of Abraham and all the blessings of I will. And my commandment I wrote on you is believe that I will. And he goes, and when you start realizing all that God's done for you, say, wow. And next thing you know, you know what? A heart of love fulfills all the law. You don't even think about the law. Because your heart's already doing it because you love God. Not because it's your duty to keep the law, do your chores. It's because you love God. That's the motivation. And so friends, as we stand together, I want us to just, I know we covered a lot of ground. But you've got to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus. What did Jesus do for you? These are some of the spiritual things he did for you that you might experience them personally and that you might live within that realm and reality. Eyes closed, heads bowed. As we close in prayer, I'm going to ask the ministry team to come real quick. Maybe you're here today and you say, man, the devil has just been beating me up. I'm, I'm letting him tell me things that are not true. He's telling me about my body that God's mad at me trying to get me thinking things in my performance are just not measuring up and good enough today I want you to confess to God say the same thing that I am righteous in Jesus today thank you for making us righteous we don't know how you did it other than you said that you circumcised you cut around our soul and spirit and the core of our being you put made our spirit alive and now our spirit can connect to you Lord and now
our spirit can commune with you. And now our spirit can feel your heart. And now our spirit can talk to you. And now our spirit can see great things that you are doing in our lives. And we are seated in heavenly places in Christ. Help us, Lord, to live a life of love. That we love you because you first loved us. And help us not even to let our love become our performance. Let your love transform our lives. Move in us today, Lord. If there's any that's not saved yet, do this mighty operation today in Jesus' name. Amen. You come today. You come. You need God's prayer. You need someone to pray with you. We're here. You need God's healing. You come receive it in Christ. You come. You have a need today. This is the time to come. You come. You come. Father, thank you so much that we could be here. We bless you in Jesus' name for who we are. We all say amen, amen. Lord bless you.